0: And here he says, You know, you think that I'm mad, but if only you'd seen this
1: methodical
0: way that I did it, just how, how clever I was in
1: doing it. Yeah, I can't possibly be mad. I did it really carefully. He feels like the, the old man's heartbeat is getting so
0: loud, he suddenly thinks it's going to be heard by a neighbour. So then he lets out a loud yell.
1: <laughs> As so frequently happens. <laughs> just raised to me the amazing possibility of an Edgar Allan Poe cinematic universe. Greetings, friend. Come, sit a while by the fire.
0: Tis cold and dark outside, but in here, it's... The Halloween Spooky Special with Shark Liver Oil! I'm Matt. (laughs) I'm Dave, hello. We are back. Yes! Yeah, I mean... This is uh, this has become somewhat of a tradition. Every every Halloween we do a spooky tale to um, to sort of to go with the season. Uh, uh, I'm Matt. And, and Are you, have I, you done? I, I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Yeah,
1: we we have, but I think you've, uh, you've, <laughs> you sh- no, you've shone a light there on something which I think it is worth mentioning is that once upon a time we also did other podcasts in between Halloween, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's fair to say it's been a year or two. Uh, so, so I'm very excited to be back doing this. Yeah, a little
0: bit like Christmas and Easter Christians, we've become Halloween <laughs> and Christmas Halloween podcasters. podcasters. <laughs> 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 but we do intend to do some more um, episodes we in do. between um, from now on. Yeah, just a bit. Life's got in the way a little bit in the last couple of years, but we're back now.
1: I, I don't know uh, what you could possibly be referring to there, Matt. It's been very smooth from my perspective. <laughs> yeah. Dead easy, boring couple of years.
0: So, today's book. This uh, Halloween book is The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. We've, um, we've done a couple of the Poe books before, or Poe stories before, and uh, they've been pretty successful. So um, this one, hopefully, will be three out of three. We've done Frog* and The House of Usher. I think from what I remember, you really enjoyed *Hop Frog* and enjoyed The House of Usher a little less.
1: Yeah, although reflecting on it, my main memory of doing The House of Usher was that I found it genuinely very creepy, and, and quite therefore quite unpleasant to read, because as as regular listeners will know, um, it's a bit of a trope of our, the fact that we do a, a Halloween spooky special, is that horror fiction really isn't my bag at all, <laughs> and so once a year we dip into this thing where I'm like, I want it, it's scary, and it's, just weird, and it's just weird, and then I always end up really enjoying it. So I now actually remember um, Hop Hop Frog as being re- like quite bizarre, and The Fall <laughs> of the House of Usher uh, being really, really effective, but yeah, really scary. And um, we also did The Red Death. Oh, of course, which, yeah. Which is about a bunch of privileged people partying in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so uh, it was, and we were ahead of the, we're ahead of the curve on that one. I'd like to say we recorded that about five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, so so this is actually we've already got the hat trick Matt we're going for four. This isn't and, is uh, and yeah. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, you can find all the old ones on the on the podcast feed just scroll your way back down and um, and they'll they'll come up. So um yeah that'll give you a sort of a, a run through but if you want to just jump jump straight in with the uh, the telltale heart then then feel free to do so because they're not exactly
1: connected these stories. Um so
0: the telltale I just, you just,
1: sorry, you, sorry, you've just raised to me the amazing possibility of an Edgar Allan Poe cinematic universe where Hopfrog uh exists in the same world as is it Roderick Usher or yeah. whoever it was, nineties yeah. hip hop star and uh gothic horror aficionado Usher, um with his house falling down, spoilers. And um uh, and, and all of them just living next to each other in one one long, slightly strange American suburb. Yeah, and there's money in that, and I'd like to say I am available. <laughs>
0: yeah, is it canon? Is it canon that Hot Frog went over to Prince Prospero a few years <laughs> before Hot the Frog. Red
1: Death Pit? <laughs> Hot Frog was in the room. He was there. <laughs>
0: Okay, so let's go on to the Telltale Heart. I think um, of all the Poe stories, um, there's a couple of other famous ones of his, um, the Pit and the Pendulum, and um, is it the Cask of a Amontillado? Um, but I think mm. this is my favourite one. Uh, so mm. it could be interesting to see how how uh, how you what, you what you make of it as well. But um, the Telltale Heart's published in I think 1846. So we're going back a good sort of almost couple of hundred years with this, and um, I think first thing to say about it, considering it's nearly two hundred years old, it still reads pretty like easily. It's one of those ones that it doesn't feel like you're reading an old classic, and you've got to sort of turn your turn your brain up to 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 understand what's going on, <laughs> just that to that follow to the syntax. It? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. There are definitely some old stories um, which are which I do feel like solving a crossword puzzle just to get to the end of the sentences and like i'm a nerd so i quite like that challenge but you're right that it's a completely it's not a visceral reading experience is it to sit and read the one i always think of is like jane eyre if you have ever read that i've started jane eyre about five times and got to the end of the first chapter and just gone like i don't really want to spend my leisure hours excavating these sort of twisted pieces of verbiage i like (laughs) I'll, i'll go and read something else but of course in order to frighten you Poe has to not do that, or the the wording, the effect that he wants to create with the wording is not more sort of wired directly into your lizard hindbrain. And mm. so you kind of have to be able to ignore the prose in order to find it frightening. And he is, he is really good at that. Although I do wonder a little bit whether he's good at that because he was so much like the foundation of the genre, the sort of mm. gothic horror genre, Almost everything, you know, including the sort of Garth Marenghi, welcome traveler stuff, (laughs) like up to, you know, really recent parody like that, um, pretty much all calls back to to Poe in a way. Like there's there's I mean, obviously there's loads of other roots of the genre and it's very complex and broad and, and comes from all sorts of places. But there's a bit of me that wonders whether we find it easy to read because everybody who's been writing horror fiction since Poe has basically been doing Poe fan fiction one way or another when you're talking about this sort of Victorian vibe. Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah, no, there's definitely something to that. And um especially as you say the sort of the, the gothic horror style. Is um is yeah he's still sort of the absolute template that that people use. There's actually a um there's a Stephen King uh, story that he did in sort of in honor or in homage to The Telltale oh, Heart. Oh really? Which, which almost follows the plot sort of beat for beat. Um, which we'll sort of get to a bit later on. But yeah, he's Ooh, um, very cool. He's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so The Telltale Heart. Then so it's it's a really it's really short. I mean, you can get through it in. About five minutes. It's only a couple of pages long, And it's a <laughs> it stays sort of, with you forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a classic sort of campfire ghostly short story. Yeah, although it's yeah, more yeah. about more about madness than sort of supernatural. This one, um, yeah. although the narrator, but it it's told from a first-person perspective. And the, ne- the narrator is it first person? No, it's uh, unreliable
1: narrator, isn't it? Oh God. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, remember <laughs> the last time we had one of these. We've, we've taken this, this. we've
1: taken an unexpected detour <laughs> into the realms of technical language for the description of literary effects and friends, we are unprepared. <laughs> it's
0: um the last time we had an unreliable narrator story was um Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Listen we'll so back good. to that, but I mean, suffice to say, we had problems with that um, with that, very, <laughs> that sort of technique for storytelling. It
1: because it, it persists over the length of a novel, so there's just so many more places where you can go. Hang on a minute, how did you? What were you there? Did you hang on? <laughs> but for a short story, it really hangs together, particularly because, as you say, what the narrator's doing here is describing essentially his own mind and his own mm. perception of the world. So actually, that's the perfect voice in which to talk about somebody losing their marbles is their description of it from the inside.
0: Yeah. So so it's about um, this, it's about madness, but the very first sentence is the narrator assuring you that he isn't mad. <laughs> um, in fact, the very first word, this is quite interesting, considering it's an unreliable narrator, is true. Yeah. Um, which yeah, sort of sets the sets the tone. Ooh. I think because he because this is this is the whole story is him trying to convince you that despite of what he's done, he's not he's not insane.
1: He's not he's not mad. And I think we can safely say that in this particular case, the maniac doth protest too much. But. Um, <laughs> But um, I, I, but I actually hadn't realised, noticed that about the first word, and I think it's really cool. The um, so starting with the word true, sort of has echoes of that thing about. Um, uh, do you know Moby Dick? Another another one that we keep we keep meaning to do, and we'll get to eventually, but haven't done yet. Yeah. Um, which famously starts with the line, "Call me Ahab." Hmm. as the as the narrator is doing it and it's a really interesting way of introing it because it's like well does that mean that he is called ahab is he kind of being friendly is he being evasive and and giving you a false name hmm. like um uh you know he's he's claiming the right to tell you how he should be thought of which to a certain extent all narrators are but he's being very very kind of um uh kind of directive about that hmm. and then and then in this you start with the word, true as though it's kind of like he's going okay so we're all reasonable people here true th- these <laughs> things have happened like let's let's you and i speak as men of the world do about the time that we went completely bananas because we killed somebody because well we'll come to that but it's not a good reason um <laughs> like all of that stuff happens uh, after he's gone, obviously you and I are men of the world, and we will set the appropriate tone here by starting with the word "true." All reasonable men act in the following way. <laughs> yeah,
0: he does talk about. He says um, he does suffer from um, a condition which is nervousness, and the fact he's been so nervous um, and has had these sort of it's created these heightened senses, and um, particularly his hearing is sort of much sharper at the moment it, because he's so nervous, because he's so anxious
1: about it is, what he's Matt, about it, to do or what he did. It's a cinematic universe. This is Daredevil. This is a superpower. This is <laughs> the narrator of this story is crying out to be made into a six-part, slightly underwhelming Netflix miniseries in support <laughs> of a broader media narrative. <laughs>
0: So, why is this guy nervous well part, partly partly is because um this tale is about murder um this guy is going he, he lives lives with an old man. now we never actually told what the relationship is between these two um yeah. it's often been it's often assumed that the old man is his father, um but he could just as easily be. I read it actually as he was sort of the servant for like a master, and the old man was the master of this house. But um oh. but we, we sort of we're left to create our own sort of conclusions with this. What did you sort of take away from it? Did you think
1: about that? That is really interesting. I mean, so I I think I just automatically assume that all of Edgar Allan Poe's protagonists are, to a greater or lesser extent, Edgar Allan Poe. So probably quite wealthy New England mm. um, you know, kind of disposable income. Types with extremely starched collars, struggling not to look the horror of existence directly in the face, and um, uh, which now I think about it is also quite H.P. Lovecraft. Maybe, maybe I'm just lazily kind of eliding all of these different Gothic horror writers into a single <laughs> uptight white man with too much time on his hands. But um, uh, so I always so I I perhaps assumed it the different way. For some reason in my mind. I think I assumed that the old man—it kind of feels like an interloper, like feels like somebody who, like maybe like a distant uncle or something, who's just kind of come to stay mm. or had been obliged to come to stay, and this person's sort of had to look after him. Yeah. Um, but I think the servant—the servant master vibe is is quite an interesting one there. I hadn't really thought of that, but I think that's 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 very credible as well.
0: Now, what he does say about the old man, he says he's um, he loved him. He'd never wronged, uh, he'd never wronged him. Um, he'd never sort of this guy never felt like he'd been giving him insult. You know, basically the relationship's really good. But um, he's got this. The old man's got this sort of eye with I think it's like a cataract. He's got this blue film over one of his eyes, and yeah. it's sort of the, the narrator finds this sort of disgusting and unsettling to the point of. Um, he decides he's going to kill him, um, which is—I mean, again, he's—he's he's going to have to work
1: hard here, the narrator, to convince us that he's not mad with that sort of line. Yeah, I mean, so this is this is unfair to Poe, right? Because he does create the atmosphere extraordinarily well. This is why he's so famous and so on. But it really—you can summarize this by by like if you were to write the like. I mean, I never write a, a shortened version of this for children because why would you do that to children? But um, if you were doing that thing where they shorten classic works, they abridge them, and and something of, you could pretty much do this in two sentences. True, I am not mad. I love this man. He had a weird eye, so I decided to kill him. And <laughs> and, and <laughs> what? Oh, oh, great! And it, well, and of course, in many ways, the horror of the story is as it, it is like how he. How like is is the, the like the the depiction of the how the the emotions hit him? You know this sort of nervous tension and stress and so on that kind of hits later on, but mm-hmm. actually far more than that, it's the fact that you are in the hands of and to a certain extent in the mind of somebody who thinks it's completely sane to kill somebody, really like methodically and carefully kill somebody. Because they've got an eye that is unexpectedly blue and filmy.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> like I yeah. just, I imagine him in in court trying to narrate this to the to the judge. So what happened, Your Honour was, and I think you'll agree, this is completely reasonable. He had a bit of a funnier face, <laughs> so I had to do for him.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the whole the whole sort of theme of this story, which which sort of holds it all together, is this idea. Uh, this truth that you know, um, in almost all cases, people who are mad don't believe that they're mad. No one thinks I'm crazy. Um, yeah. Sort of, especially if you're sort of this kind of character. Um, and here he says, you know, he, he breaks off again after saying, "This is what he's, well, this is what he did." You think that I'm mad, but if only you'd seen the sort of methodical way that I did it, <laughs> and sort of just how how clever I was in doing
1: it, basically yeah i can't possibly be mad i did it really carefully and i think again like the i i wonder whether this had a much more impact at the time because we now live on the other side of like 150 years of horror fiction Hmm. you know largely inspired by like gothic romances like um like i mean sorry romance in the broader thing of like you know these odd stories um uh you know written by a grell and poe because now we have this idea of like you know you've got the silence of the lambs where you've got this which is kind of archetypal where you've got um hannibal Lecter. the whole thing is that he's really smart and hasn't lost any of the things that he knows he just Mm. happens also to be somebody that eats people spoilers that's spoiler um it's been long enough um so, like, I think this must have had an effect, an impact at the time, even more than the effect it still has today, where I think people possibly did have, were less prepared for the idea of methodical madness and yeah. thought of madness as being the thing that this guy is is saying he clearly isn't exhibiting because he's being so methodical, Thought thought of madness being... Frenzy, you know, thought of something that kind of occurs in the moment yeah. um, rather than, you know, madness is as madness does. And madness, a, a good example of what madness does is killing people because they've got slightly strange faces.
0: Yeah. I think also part of what makes this story so unsettling is um, presenting you with the sort of idea that people who are really disturbed can act really normally. I thought one sentence that really sort of I find quite frightening was this one where he says, I was never kinder to the old man during the whole week before I killed him. And it's just the way that I love the way that sentence just sort of you just get pushed off a cliff at the end of it. It's just like really unsettling
1: yeah yeah you're right that's very much the sort of pinnacle of his his kind of protesting too much isn't it where he's kind of like i was never kinder to him than in the week before i killed him as though that's like that shows you that i was completely of sound mind rather than you know a duplicitous maniac who's been pushed over the edge and he's about Mm -hmm. to do something completely monstrous
0: yeah, and even when he's saying that kind of sentence, he's not saying like, oh, you know, the old guy had a good week before he died. There's never a thought for him. It's this is this is to show you. Yeah. Look look how clever yeah. I was. There's ne- he he never thinks about the about the poor old guy he's going to kill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's how he does it. We're going to just crank up the uh we're going to crank up the madness a bit more here. Um so for the first, for the whole week, every night at midnight, he opens the door to the old guy's room with a covered lantern and peers in and slowly sort of opens the lantern up so he can see and closes it. So the idea being the guy isn't going to wake up and he can sort of sneakily looking at him. And every time he does this each night it takes an hour for him to get from the door closed to his head peering into the room.
1: (laughs) Thoughts? (laughs) I mean... I mean, this is this is one of the one of the two weird ways in which time, like Grandpa uses time here to like make something, um, uh, to, to like make it feel uncanny. The other one is we we I mean we'll, we'll come to it in a bit where like when he um uh when at one point the man wakes up and seems to just sit upright all night in the darkness just thinking or you know just aware of of, of that something weird is going on Mm. and the other one is the idea of taking an hour over opening a door and poking your head around it like (laughs) this is it. it is it is it is odd and it's one of the ways in which it's trying to make it sort of subtly uncanny Mm. um but certainly one of, the, one of the truest signs that this man is, is completely out to lunch is that, um, is that he's willing to put an hour into opening a door. And I was completely <laughs> saying the whole time. As to what? If you'd have taken 45 minutes, the man would have jumped out of the bed and started going, murder, murder, it's murder, I tell you, murder. <laughs> Doesn't seem very like, I feel like you might be over mitigating that risk a tad.
0: <laughs> I think he says um, and I'll give him this you yeah, they've laughed to see how slowly I did it and um, we've both him <laughs> right I there. can't be saying <laughs> I know it's funny
1: I know I'm preposterous yeah. anyway
0: <laughs> so every time he opens this lantern and, and shines the light in on the room the old man's asleep so the eye is mm. closed which means he can't bring himself to kill him um, because he's sort of the, the very the very object that's going to push him over the edge is the sight of this sort of this this this
1: guy's eye. Might I suggest then that choosing nighttime murder might not have been the best way of uh, achieving your aims? Mm-hmm. Like if your whole thing is I have to kill him because of what the eye looks like, which we have said is not a not a sane position to take. I've chosen to kill him at a moment when I can't see the eye. And therefore I'm just essentially choosing to spend some of my leisure time in the evenings, slowly opening doors to no discernible purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a bit peculiar. Um, it's like, yeah, I mean, I get cause you got to do it when it's dark and you got to you know like all of that sort of thing for the mood the vibes the vibes are definitely served by him being this 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 kind of uh unhinged mm. but um but that does this is a little bit of the story for me where I'm like kind of like D- did did he does he do this is this really the way you choose to do it <laughs> I mean I think perhaps the reason that I can't I can't I you know I, 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 I'm not saying I have any better ways of fulfilling this aim. So perhaps that says something uh better about me than I'd hope. But like it's yeah, it's it's a weird one this. What did you make of it?
0: Yeah, it is. And I think uh it's interesting that by the eighth night, when um when it actually sort of comes to an end this um you get the sense that the narrator was actually quite beginning to quite enjoy the power he feels he sort of can keep
1: looking in on this
0: guy without him realizing it and then the following day be all sort of friendly and the old man has no idea sort of how close each night he comes to sort of death Um, the eighth night he says he's even more cautious than normal entering the room Um, but he's in he's sort of he's enjoying it so much that he sort of chuckles to himself and he thinks he may have actually done this out loud because this is what sort of wakes the old man and um,
1: I may have done it aloud yeah. it may have been <laughs> something else but it was probably the sound in the dark of somebody very slowly opening a door and then laughing to himself <laughs> I I think that probably did wake him up to be honest with you
0: <laughs> so he's about he, again um, when he sort of senses that the old man's woken up. He just freezes and just stands there for ages. Again, there's just something really unsettling about just the lack of yeah. movement, isn't there?
1: For so long, yeah.
0: And then, um, yeah,
1: very much. Yeah. Oh, and I, sorry, but the, the um, the uh, the other the the bit that's really unsettling about this is that what Poe is doing is trying to wire you, the reader, into a sense of like dread of the sort that you know you can have in the middle of the night if you wait like if you were minded to be afraid to wake up in the middle of the night and think you heard something is a very common experience Mm. and what he's doing there is going and of course you and almost everybody else you know goes back to sleep quite quickly but What if it really was somebody standing in your room having plotted to murder you eight nights in a row and is actually standing there just quietly waiting for you to go back to sleep so that they can actually kill you just because of how you look? That is definitely a terrifying thing. And then you have the man, the creepiness of the fact that the man himself sits there for ages. like And you would only sit there for ages if you thought there was a good reason that you shouldn't go back to sleep. So it's this really weird completely silent um like establishment that there's something horrific going on and you're like kind of you're approaching the turn of the horror where the where um like where terror terror turns to horror you know where like the tension and the worry and the the the, uh, turns into ah <laughs> and um, and we're about to. That's my. That's 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 the uh, the two tone uh, account of the structure of horror fiction. By the way, from uh, to ah, and we're about to get to the screamy bit.
0: Yeah, it is. He and there's a there's a point um, during this night uh, where he talks about how the old man must have been lying there thinking of all the reasons why you know, all the rational reasons why there's nothing to worry about. It'll just be sort of the wind in the chimney or sort of the, the sound of the house settling or something like that. And it is, again, yeah, it's very familiar that that sort of, if you wake up and think you've heard something in the night and you start thinking, oh, it's probably just the, yeah, the house settling yeah. or, you know, someone next yeah. door or all yeah. the manner of things that it almost certainly
1: is. But, of yeah. course, in this case... But in horror fiction... Isn't. It's not. <laughs> and, and, and I like, I like the, um, the idea that... I, so at this point, it occurred to me that this story really wouldn't work in an era of uh, after the candle because mm. because he's probably not going to lean over and turn on candles and light lanterns and stuff like that, the guy in bed. Which means that what you're doing is it's just the darkness and your brain and those two things interacting. The tension, as the terror flips to the horror in this particular story, the tension would be fairly fatally undermined if the guy had a light switch next to his bed and could would just be like, kind of, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> Why is this? What have you got a lantern? How long have you spent opening that door? What's the knife in your hand for? Like, it wouldn't, there would be a, it would be a bit more flipping Halloween, the movie Halloween, than it is the kind of, you know the 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 utter tension of complete silence and dread in the darkness. <laughs> if he was just able to be like, click, evening.
0: <laughs> I'd love it if he slowly got he slowly opened the door, slowly peered in, and then click, light goes on.
1: Slowly goes back out the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, wrong wrong room. Sorry, very sorry. Sleep well. Sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, it's actually a few stages that this happens
0: in. So he, he sort of, he senses the guy's woke up and then he stands still for ages. And then he tries to open the lantern slightly and his thumb slips. So that makes a noise. And and that's where the, uh, the old man calls out, who's, who's here? Yeah, And then, then that, that sort of precedes another hour of just them sort of, almost like a standoff where the old yeah. guy's sort of too afraid to do anything He's like, he's not going to get up. Because he sent, I think also, because the guy, because it's an old man, you sense that sort of vulnerability. You always feel a bit vulnerable when you're in your bed. But if you're sort of old and frail as well, it's not like you can sort of jump out and sort of demand that someone shows themselves. You know, the the best you can do is this sort of frightened, who's there, and then just to sit and wait with your thoughts. It's
1: even creepier than who's there, though. It's who's here. Who's here, like It's like, we're in the same place but you won't show yourself to me, and I don't feel strong enough to do anything about that fact. Mm. And this, and, and the light bulb has yet to be invented. So we are in, like you say, an, an absolute New England standoff, right? Silent, dark, absolutely no external sign of it, but extremely high tension and likely to end in somebody's horrible death. And um I, I, I just yeah, it's it's a it's a great sort of mounting of that of that that scene and that kind of yeah that that sort of horror if you like who's here is mm-hmm. not who's there who's here like what's right next to me that i don't know and can't see and may not have my good in mind is what yeah. this scene is kind of underpinned by
0: um there's then this sort of he, he admits this sort of low groan of terror the old man and um at that point the the narrator says it's it's because the narrator believes because he he sort of feels the, so this sort of shadow of death closing in, and um, the narrator opens his lantern. The light falls directly on the eye, which is wide open, and yeah. um, even now, actually, it's not just the fact that he sees the eye and he just and then he kills him. He starts to hear the beating of the old man's heart in his ears, and it gets louder and louder. And he says, "It's like." um the sound of a drum beat sort of uh, giving courage to a soldier which is um which is quite oh, a, which is quite an interesting way of yeah. describing it and says a lot about his the, the sort of thought process
1: yeah very very much and the other one he uses is it's like a it's like a clock under a under a cloth or something like a watch under a cloth mm. and just really interesting again to reflect on the fact that you know um uh it's having a having a clock having a watch at that time in the 1840s was was probably something you did only if you were quite wealthy so there's this whole kind of milieu again of like kind of wealth and privilege and how little it protects you from from um from the sort of the dangers of the dangers of the world and Mm -hmm. and actually that that also um i think just a, a couple of paragraphs up he talks about the man like there's some mention of like fearing like all the all the windows having been shuttered like for fear of um for fear of intruders or something like that yeah. and yeah. i think and it was it was a really interesting line to me because cuz i'm not saying that's unheard of in this day and age obviously you know home invasions happen they're always horrifying you know um but there's just a sense of i i mean in this in this day and age to be honest somebody who's wealthy and privileged enough to have you know the equivalent of what a clock was in the 1840s probably doesn't live in a place where that's very likely to happen Mm. and and so it's a really interesting look like still subtle kind of measure of the times that it was written in that you everybody no matter how wealthy still you know like was essentially you know this whole idea of the home is the castle thing of like And it actually had to be a castle with defences in it. You know, there was this sense of you you probably weren't, there was every chance that you wouldn't be safe as you slept. And so as the the old man wakes up, you know, as you are right, he's an old man. And so that's one of the reasons why he's like, but also seems to speak of, and I think I remember this in other Edgar Allan Poe stories as well, of like, seems to speak of just living in a world where you're, that many steps closer to being unexpectedly extremely in danger Mm. and I, I know this might be a step too far but I sort of noticed that big chunks of American culture seem still to be preoccupied with this you know gun ownership is a big deal and that's the idea that you're the only person that can provide your own security that the society you live in won't care for you and you can't count on it to do so.
0: Um, yeah
1: which is which is which is a really horrifying reality and in a way one which i think is still quite yeah i, I mean I, you know i say this as an outsider so i mean i mean no disrespect by it but still to some people feels seems to feel like it's very close at hand
0: yeah well there's an also sort of like a part of this is still in in modern horror where um you know sort of the uh, belief that once you've sort of locked up inside you you're safe I mean there's the sort of classic you know the call was coming from inside the house is it's that oh yeah Where sort of you think you're safe but actually the the maybe maybe someone who's inside with you is actually the danger
1: Um, that's very interesting and so this whole idea of paranoia and you know trust and safety and you know the kind of Places of safety and places of danger not necessarily being as they appear to be you're 100% right and actually that whole that calls coming from inside the building scream thing is scream itself is like in you know a part of a long line of suburban horror where the whole point of suburbia in certainly in North American culture as I understand it is that it precisely is the place where you've got enough money to live without somebody breaking into your house and and you know it's just just by dint of being a long old way away from other places you know, there's this sense of false security. So, of course, American horror fiction has largely placed itself again, like, you know, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Scream. You know, these films place themselves in suburbia because suburbia is supposed to be a place that presents itself as completely safe. Mm. And and yet the underpinning fear is it's only safe... It's safe in a way that isn't actually going to last or perhaps it's perhaps it is the illusion of its safety which 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 is what makes it so dangerous. You mm. know, the, the the call is coming from inside the building. The other person living in the house might have such an enormous problem with how your cataracts look that they decide to murder <laughs> you. <laughs> like.
0: Yeah, um, another strike against the sanity of this guy here were. He, um, he feels like the guy's heartbeat man's heartbeat, is getting so loud he that he, he suddenly thinks it's going to be heard by a neighbour. So then he lets <laughs> out a loud
1: yell. As so frequently <laughs> happens in and, large houses in very privileged environments in the northeast of America, of course what happens is occasionally you'll be sitting in your leather wing-back chair drinking brandy, you know, just thinking over how good it is to have land or whatever it is that you do. And and uh, and, and and then you hear something and you, you say to the person next to you, good Lord, you know, I think I hear somebody's heartbeat from next door. There's rum doings afoot. I shall go over there and ensure that everything is correct in a cardio kind of a way. Like, <laughs> when has that ever happened? <laughs> Yeah,
0: so um, so he so he lets out this loud yell, uh, sets upon the old man. The old man shrieks once, and then he basically suffocates him, um, in his sort of in the bed sheets. Um, and there's a again a, this sort of chilling line where he says, I, I, I smiled gaily as I did it," um, and he can hear yeah. one of the effects of him suffocating him is he can hear that the heartbeat is muffled now, and eventually yeah. it stops. And um, yeah, and and the guy's dead. The, the the actual the actual moment of violence is quite sort of, um, quite sort of d- described in a quite quite it's quite well done because it doesn't it doesn't go into much detail, but he tells like no. in Great Horror, he tells you just enough, doesn't
1: he? Yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. And there's something, the prose at this bit I thought was really extraordinary because it some exactly as you say because it is so, so sort of blunt. And so, so kind of, it just covers over. It 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 captures the sense of suffocation. It's not here's every individual little detail pin sharp and whatever as you like. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just this kind of oppressive weight, mm. and 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 then he's dead. And yeah. and it really captures that really well, as you say. It, it skips past it in a way which is almost on the edge of being too muted but of course the point of it is that it gets to, it comes to this point because of the sort of build up of tension and taking an hour to put your head through a door and, and you know all of that sort of thing um, it, it is a really interesting moment, I would still call this the sort of moment of horror as against the moment of terror mm. but it's actually you know it's not a kind of loud shriek of horror it's a sort of deadening weight of horror yeah um, but it's and and really like really interestingly done and in like f- 30 words or something it's so 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 slight but it works really well and as you say the detail of i smiled gaily while i did it <laughs> okay. that is some creepy nonsense right there
0: now i'm going to paraphr- paraphrase him a bit here No, but he basically says next you know you think I'm mad, but listen to how well I cut up his corpse and hid it beneath the floorboards.
1: <laughs> I can't be mad. Did you when you? Yeah, I mean, amazing. Like, and I just love that he stays committed to this bit with this character of like, I'm going to describe to you all the insane things that I did as evidence for how sane I am. It's just is great, and it is very funny. And and you know, I think that is very funny. But um, did this strike you at all as being um? Do you know, so you've watched Breaking Bad, right?
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah, I was just going to
1: say that. (laughs) Definite. What is it, the third episode of Breaking Bad where they're like, yeah, this is a series where somebody can be dissolved in the wrong chemicals and fall through the ceiling in just a puddle of gore. Um, I mean, not really, spoilers. A lot of stuff happens after that. But and actually, if you're one of the people who's watched Breaking Bad and only got to the episode and gone, ah, and never, never carried on watching it as I was the first time through, you know, persevere past that. But it was, it was so funny, this bit of like, kind of, this is a really sort of, again, like 1840s breaking bad thing where he's like, and then I hid him under the bed in under the floorboards in chunks. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was the logical word. Perfect crime.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, for, so this, this takes it. Yeah. So he does it in the bath to, so it, so there's no evidence anywhere. Um, and then four in the morning, there's a he, he's finally sort of finished, and he gets a knock at the door. Three police officers have come round. Um, they say that a neighbour heard a shriek in the night. I love this phrase: "There was suspicions of foul play," so they've been um, dispatched just to t- just to look into it. So that the cops are here, Dave.
1: D- oh, it's so good, writer. and I just I sort of I sort of love the the idea of the sort of Columbo character turning up and kind of in a very sort of like very you know faux genial kind of a way there's a suspicions of foul play so we're just looking around you wouldn't mind if we came in and asked you a few questions. <laughs> Would would you, sir? Given that you've taken an hour to open the door to us very, very slowly, we think you might be a person of interest in this. <laughs> yes. It was it was five by the time you'd finished opening the door. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, why have you only done two houses? Well, I did the first house at eleven. That was done by about eleven twenty. Then I went and knocked on next door, and he just it took him an hour to open, just open the door, poked his head through. Took him forty-five minutes to say yes, officer. How can I help? I mean,
0: <laughs> there is um, there is something about that actually, which um, I, I think is quite interesting for this final part of the story, which is um, it, it, it does make it certainly made me wonder um, just how. True, this part of what he says is like how convincing really was he to these officers? Because he says, mm. you know, they didn't have a they didn't have a faintest idea what had happened <laughs> because this. of my genius. Because, yeah, and I, you just think it makes you think: did, did, did these guys know? I mean, is he right towards the end where they sort of they were very suspicious all the way along, but they took that long because they're just sort of dragging it out of him, or yeah. were they were they really actually? completely oblivious and about to leave and suddenly sort of his madness forces the confession it's um it could be it could be either quite easily or probably more more likely sort of a a bit of a mixture of both he's probably been far more suspicious than he thinks he is but at the same time they're, they're, they're nowhere near the sort of conclusion that he eventually sort of forces upon them
1: yeah no yeah so i think you're probably right there and i think there is um I think actually this is a really cool passage to read twice, because I think you actually get. I do, I think it's both. It's 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 Schrodinger's uh, narrative tension. Um, <laughs> like you can either read it. You read it and it really works as he's as he is presenting it accurately, and they're just completely oblivious. Because why why would you imagine as a as a police officer in New England in the eighteen forties that there is a. Um, that the guy you're talking to, however long he's taken to open the front door to you, um, has, like has actually committed a murder in the night, you know, in such a way that there was a horrible shriek, mm. um, uh, you know. So maybe, maybe you do just go through it completely oblivious, and then it's this guy bubbles over at the end. That would be a hell of an effect, you know, and I think it could be really cool. But I also think it would be really cool to read it from the perspective of police officers, knowing from the moment that he opens the door that something's wrong here, <laughs> and. Just playing it absolutely as dead bat as he thinks they are, as yeah. like kind of just mocking him basically by being <laughs> so kind of straight and, and and like flat about the whole thing. So it's actually it's really cool because you can you kind of you can read it at least twice through, even for quite a small short story, you mm-hmm. can read it twice through and get two different great sequences with incredibly creepy effect. Without doing, like, without changing a thing, just by changing the emphasis you put and what you choose to bring to it as a reader
0: yeah I think there's actually there's there's a there's a third sort of option as well in that um you can read it as they uh, they they're pretty much oblivious until he sort of just suddenly confesses or like you say they they sort of know straight away and they're just as sort of they're kind of weirdly playing sort of uh, yeah al- almost like laughing at him as they get him ready to arrest him or it could also yeah. be the sort of i think the most realistic reading of it is the the suspicious when they go around some of the some of his manner makes them yeah. either consciously or subconsciously more suspicious of him. But they sort yeah. of, the time there, they're just giving him enough rope to sort of, yeah. to hang himself, to sort of, to, to almost, they think if they play it out, they're going to get something here that will give them a clue or an ev- eventually sort of a clear indication of what's happened. Um, but yeah, you can read it in all these different ways, which is a really um, part of the genius of the story. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I would agree.
0: So, so he says he's yeah he's saying I was completely convincing. I I told them that the shriek was just me having a nightmare. The old guys out of the house, the country somewhere. Um, I gave them a. I (laughs) I, love this. He's
1: he's he's on holiday. Where? Couldn't tell you. Um, Oh, far, very for Montana. Is that far away? Very, very far away. Yes, most certainly. I also, I also love that, like his his account of it is, I was very convincing. And at this point in the story, I think we are well within our rights to be like, oh yeah, convincing. Like you're being convincing now, convincing, convincing. Yeah. Is it? This is convincing.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's just you can you can read all of these as yeah, I was, I, I told him he was in the country, and you can imagine him saying it either completely unconvincingly or convincingly. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. I gave, I, oh, he, <laughs> he's
1: in the country. Oh yeah. Oh no, he's on holiday.
0: Yeah. I gave him a tour of the house, showed them that nothing was taken. I mean, again, that could be convincing or he could be literally sort of being <laughs> so excited. He's showing amazing. them every single
1: part of the house. and That's amazing. Again, you're 100% right. It could just be, yeah, I'll show you around. Let's see it. Or it could be, oh, everything's fine. Look, see, in here, front room. Fine. Nothing wrong in here. Through here, a kitchen. Absolutely. Great. Fine. Look. Storage closet. Let's go in there for sure. Definitely nothing to worry about in there. Look, no, seriously, look closely behind the bucket. Yeah, no, see nothing at all to see. Anyway, moving out to the back. (laughs) Here we, here we have the bathroom. Look at the bath. Look closely at the bath.
0: This is the cleanest bath you've ever seen.
1: See anything (laughs) in here? See the bath. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like like a really, really, really demented estate agent taking it around (laughs) and just being like, and here you'll notice very beautifully appointed room south-facing. As a matter of fact, looking out over the wonderful aspect, rolling down to the stream at the end of the garden. Nobody's (laughs) here either. And in the next room... (laughs) The generous bedroom. Uh, the generous yeah. the generous second bedroom, which you will note is entirely devoid of corpses or suspicious artifacts of any kind.
0: Yeah. Something that sort of leans can't to
1: stress op- it enough. Sorry,
0: <laughs> carry on. Something that leans towards unconvincing here is the fact that he brings chairs into the bedroom and gets them to sit down and talk to him in there. And it's kind of like that's a weird thing to do, regardless Why of are you to doing how that it? sounds not yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rather yeah. than go down to the that's... living room and sit and chat, it's Come, I'll sit here, I'll I'll bring the chairs in, let's have a sit in the bedroom and talk about
1: sort of just stuff. (laughs) It's it's very definitely the moment, isn't it, where if they're worth their money whatsoever, these police officers are all simultaneously thinking the simple phrase, seems legit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. So he feels entirely convinced himself that at this stage the officers had no idea that anything was wrong. Um, But what starts to happen now is... He has a headache which is growing and he starts to hear a ringing in his ears which becomes the heartbeat and he's convinced that he can hear the heartbeat of the old man beneath the floorboards and it gets okay. louder and louder and louder to the point that he thinks the the officers are going to hear it and, and the game's going to be up. And he says here he, he starts to talk more loudly, even shouts, even sort of starts to sort of move his chair around to, to create a noise. And I think, again, if you're reading it as the officers already know that he's nuts and they're just sort of playing it out yeah. for their own personal yeah. satisfaction, then you can see him doing this almost in a cartoon character way. On the other yeah. hand, I, you can read it as this sort of turmoil is all going on inside him. And he's sort yeah. of a little, sort of slight move of the chair is him, sort of imagining that he's he's making all this noise to hide it, and his his voice gets louder for maybe a quick shout or something. But he's sort of, yeah. it's not as obvious as as it's almost yeah. like sounds like it is from the way he's retelling it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of tension in it, isn't there? And again, like it's it's really, it's really, it's really, it, like it's really well mounted. I'll also note what's interesting is that. Um, so this is. Um, uh, one of the one of the many stories that, um, as I say, not as an aficionado, aficionado of horror fiction, I have come to already having encountered it in other works of fiction. And it's more common than you might think uh, that the first place I encountered the idea of this was in the Simpsons. Um, and there's a, there's a Simpsons episode where um, Lisa gets into this competitive thing. It's quite an early episode uh, making a diorama and somebody makes a diorama of the telltale heart, which is just it's like it's a set of face of room with a set of floorboards and it's kind of beating up and down and stuff. And so I thought that was the creepy bit and you're right it's not the creepy bit that that, that's the logical bit of where this story ends up is this guy going crazy or maybe i just think that because you know it's a very famous story is you know as i say archetypal now almost in horror fiction that it it looks and feels this way but actually the creepy is everything that leads up to that and as you say it's this this kind of the 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 departure of this guy's consciousness and reason from the universe basically or from the universe of, of of kind of evidence and rationality um just just completely peeling away in this moment that's the creepy bit the fact that it happens to be a heart doing something under the floor is that's not that's not creepy in the slightest because you know that it's him going crazy it hmm. is the madness not the sign of the madness that's frightening here and i think that's really that's really really interesting at this point
0: and uh so so this ends with as i say they um he Decides that the officers must know what's happened because the the sound of the beating heart's so loud now, and they must be sort of playing with him. So it ends with he 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 shrieks, "Villains, dissemble no more! I admit the deed. Tear up the planks here, here! It is the beating of his hideous heart." And I love the way that again, one thing I always think about Poe, he always ends well. I think the final just line in these that. books or yeah. in these stories are always great. There's never a sort of yeah. a, a slightly disappointing last paragraph which sort of just tails <laughs> so off. It just of ends bang, fritters <laughs> away.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, it reminds me of that famous thing that um, uh, William Goldman always did about Psycho, the movie. Where everybody remembers about Psycho is that I mean, again, spoilers, but this is a 60-year-old film. Um, uh, is the the skeleton and the spider and the and the the knife and the and the, like, the, the the terror of it, that is actually 10 minutes before the end of the film. And the last 10 minutes of the film is exactly what you say there, of just somebody going, and obviously Freudian psychological theory leads us to blah, 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 <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody remembers the last 10 minutes of Psycho. Nobody gives a crap. Um, you're 100% right that this is... this. He always has a perfect ending line to the point where I can still remember the ending line of the fall of the house of usher which is madman i tell you she stands without the door Ah!" (laughs) right and and he again brings it to this crescendo really close to the end of the thing because it's a short story because there's no fat there to trim and um and yeah and this this is this is really really great um, and, and and again though, it does maintain the uh, slight slapstick comedic vibe to the end as well as maintaining the you know the uh, the well put together sort of tension. Uh, of the story where you just imagine him like imagine imagine the scene if the cops aren't onto him at all and or just know that something yeah. slightly weird is happening and he's sitting there and he's just rocked slightly side to side in his chair and he's moved it a little bit uncomfortably to make a noise on the floorboards and he's started talking a little bit more loudly and he's being weird and it's like and, but it's late and you're a, you know you, you've you've had your coffee it's a long shift you know i oh, we will come back tomorrow it's fine just about to get up, and then he goes, "All right, fine, fine," and <laughs> rips up the floorboards and goes, "Look, a dead body! Look there!" <laughs> <laughs> just, just the three of you there, just, just exchange a look, like oh, that was a freebie. <laughs> yeah,
0: as he's as he's being carted away in the police in the police cart or whatever it is, or the police van, they sort of standing outside of the officers. Did you? Did you know that? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah I was Just yeah, waiting definitely. for the time. <laughs> just waiting for the perfect time. The you. <laughs> did, did you? Oh, oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I oh, most yeah. definitely.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you seem you seemed very relaxed and like when you were talking. To, oh yeah, of course. I just wanted to get him into a you know false sense of security. <laughs> got and to, all that. You, yeah.
1: you got to wear the mask, haven't you? And as you saw, he was very laid back about the whole thing and just just let it slip almost naturally, or without you know
0: yeah and i, I bet the about the police report after it would be um after extensive questioning from the officers, he eventually gave up. The you know gave up.
1: The <laughs> we really did some gumshoe work on this. I'll tell you, we had to we had to beat the street. We had to talk to different people. We had to work the informants. This was a difficult one, but a sign of the hard work that goes in in random New England rich town somewhere. And uh, absolutely nothing at all to do with the fact that the accused <laughs> ripped up the floorboards pointed at the dead body and said, I know you know about this already. Here it is then. Here it is. And and mentioned a beating heart, which I have to tell you was extremely not in evidence in this dismembered corpse. (laughs)
0: That's some damn fine police work, O'Shaughnessy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You take the morning off. (laughs)
0: yeah and this, the reason one of the things I, I, I do actually, I've not really thought about it before. But one of the things I think that is so great about the story is the fact that it it really does successfully push the line between like horror and comedy so mm. so successfully. And that is one of the like hardest things to do because the greatest danger to horror normally is comedy. If it starts mm. to if it starts to feel a bit funny, you've lost it. It's over. It's it's a rubbish yeah. story. But somehow yeah. this sort of weaves that little bit of sort of humour, and you can, uh, into it. And also, you yeah. y- you can read it in so many different ways that it can be darkly very funny, or it can yeah. just be much more straight down the line and, and sinister and sort of unsettling. And it's amazing yeah. that a story can can be both those things without it just becoming completely farcical
1: yeah yeah well and i think what it is is it's it's the absurd so you've got you've got the sort of terror and horror of 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 this horrible act being committed and the tension with which it's shown you know kind of pulls you along but it's the it's the absurdity which he's absolutely doing on purpose like he must be doing on purpose of presenting a mad person as believing themselves to be completely sane that is creepy but that same incongruity that makes it creepy also makes it funny hmm. and 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 actually i think the place where those two things join up is is the the absurd which is you know this this kind of way of talking about I forgive me this is going to sound incredibly sort of faux intellectual or whatever but like in a sort of existentialist approach to things there are two responses to you know living in a broad universe that doesn't have any inherent meaning in it which is the existentialist position um and one of those is to laugh and one of those is to be very afraid and this story contains them both of like the possibility of being as actively uh damagingly unhinged as this is simultaneously really funny because it's funny because it leads him to do funny things but also really frightening because it means we live in a world where that's possible Mm. and um and it's such an interesting thing to do that in a story of like you say you can read it in five minutes like it's a you can read it while you're having a cuppa it's it's got you know i mean if you ask me to guess i mean it might nudge three thousand words but probably not like, it's probably less than that. And and it manages to be simultaneously a very funny story and a very frightening story and, like, a masterpiece of, like, atmosphere and tone and stuff like that um, without a single wasted word and with all of this very, very, very sort of minimalist description in it, which is... I, I, it's, it's amazing. And I think, like, looking at its technique... I think I, you know, you can completely understand why Poe was really the 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 foundation of a whole tradition of fiction, mm. um, because he did it like this, and what he gave everybody was literally skeletons, and 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 everybody's been building on those skeletons ever since.
0: Mm. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things I, I thought would be interesting just to explore is. We we always assume that the narrator is a man, but it's never actually explicit. Um, and a couple of uh, there's you been a couple of right. readings to say you know you can read it as if um, as the narrator is a woman as well, which gives it a very again That's a very really different cool. spin. Yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. go back and read from the start again, and it gives you a different sort of it feels like a very Ooh. different story. And again, another thing that I think we really like about it is just how how much. It, it, how how much sort of gap there is for you to just sort of make it your own? you bring a lot to the story yeah. yourself in the way that yeah. you read it, because he leaves leave so much of it up to you without really yeah. without you really realizing that.
1: Yeah, you know that's that's an amazing point about the kind of lightness of its touch and 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 how much it enables you to bring your own interpretations to it, and therefore to in, locate your own horror within it whatever that whatever that is mm-hmm. and i think it's a great point that i just from from moment one i have assumed as i generally do with edgar Allan poe that edgar Allan poe is writing his protagonists as a version of himself privileged white man it's suffering the horrors of existence right mm-hmm. um and um I'd love it. I'm re- I'm going to go back and read it again. I don't often read again the the things that we do on the, on the cast. But I'm going to go back and read it again from a woman's perspective and I think that is a really interesting one.
0: Mm. Right um in terms of other um adaptations obviously with with all Edgar Allan Poe stuff for the most part. Yeah. Um there's loads of there's loads of adaptations. Um you've mentioned one the uh Treehouse of horror Simpsons have done one, haven't they? Um, there's yeah. been various films. There's actually apparently um, an Android, uh, like iPhone game. Um where you saw those, the Telltale you know, Heart. Yeah, it's, where you, you play the guy who kills the old dude.
1: So, <laughs> 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 uh, rated not suitable for children, one hopes. Um, <laughs> that is a really interesting one because, so I always feel like Edgar Allan Poe writes these incredible short stories which are really rich in what you can bring to them as a reader and really rich in what. You can learn from them in creating your own works of fiction. But I always feel like straight adaptations, like so my my touchstone for this is always there's a a film of the Red Death. Right. Hmm. And the Red Death, if you haven't read it, is a very, very simple short story about the hubris of people with a lot of money. Uh, deciding not to care about the well-being of the society around them in the context of a pandemic, and then, like I say, it's all you read it now, and it's all extremely on the nose. Um, but um, uh, but it's it's short, and only one thing really happens in it, and you can read it in five minutes. And if you put it on screen, it would be a short. And somebody made an hour and a half long horror movie out of it with Peter Cushing. And mm. the way they did that was by basically just going, well, what if the start of it was the start of the Red Death story? And the end of it was the end of the Red Death story. And in the middle, we just put in six or seven different plot lines. <laughs> and that's what people seem to end up doing when adapting Edgar Allan Poe. So mm. I, always, I always find it like really sort of... I mean, I always seem to end up doing that. that's wholly unfair. I haven't nearly done the reading or the watching to back that up, but it just they're so they're so light and so so kind of um so efficient as stories that I always think about adaptations as being like, are you really sure you're adding to this in a way that adorns it and enhances it rather than just you know dumping a load of stuff on it so you can turn it into a different medium and get paid for it? You know what I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, there's a there's a there's a film, 2012, I think film, um, maybe even no 20 really? 2016 um, film with Peter Bogdanovich is the old guy. Um, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's and amazing. Again, it's, it's, yeah, but it's one of those things. I thought, shall I watch some of it for and then? But I don't feel particularly. I mean, the the, the sort of. Maybe I have done It might be great. I don't know. I've never heard of it before, but it's. It says that the synopsis is basically, you know, the guy's haunted by like the memory of this old guy that he killed. It's just like, ah, oh, I'm not sure I need any more than what I got from the actual story. To be honest, yeah. I mean, having said that, I mean, that, so SpongeBob yeah. SquarePants did a version called Squeaky Boots. <laughs> I might give that a give that <laughs> <word>. Squeaky
1: Boots. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm just looking down the list of adaptations here. And, and so, a great example of this, the 1960 film adaptation, The Telltale Heart, adds a love triangle to the story. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. what it was missing. And, and, and the 2010 adaptation starring Arnold Schwarzenegger adds a number of shootouts to it, directed by Michael Bay. Fine, but you're not making a Telltale Heart movie at that point, are you? You're making a different movie. <laughs>
0: The Telltale Heart with Arnie.
1: <laughs> the Telltale Heart with Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. Um, yeah, I oh, also mentioned that Stephen King did a sort of almost like a, a, an homage tribute to it. His was called, um, I think, slightly less like romantic name, The Old Dude's Ticker, um, mm. and it's again, uh, it, it's pretty much the exact same story, but he but told obviously a slightly more modern setting. And I mm. think with his, he uh, he gives you more background to the lead to the narrator, and the narrator talks about being a I think war veteran, and um, mm. it, I think it turns out at the end that he is a veteran, but he was he sort of escaped from some kind of like hospital where he's he's gone sort of obviously, yeah. insane. Yeah, but um, it's quite interesting that the sort of the the modern sort of uh, greatest sort of horror writer. Felt the need to sort yeah. of do a version in sort of tribute to, to uh, Agrela and Poe. Interesting. Yeah, um,
1: and fair enough.
0: And fair enough. Yeah, I've yeah. got a few reviews from around the internet. This is all oh, this, this is a like much loved tradition. Um, and I always go for. I mean, I, basically, I always just sort of plumb Goodreads for five and one star reviews in any any sort of other ones that particularly grab my eye. And there's some good ones here, so we'll go through. Uh, if we start with the 5 stars, Uh Mutassin says um gave it five stars, a perfect haunting story that will allow you to examine madness and wickedness at the depths of the human soul. It's not a horror story, but a kind of psychological tale. Strange the story, easy
1: to read. There you go. I agree with the last bit. I'm not sh- I'm not sure about depths. I feel like you one of the things I'm, I think I'm saying about Edgar Allan Poe is that you he gives you a place to bring depths yeah rather than necessarily bringing those depths to you and I, th- I don't mean that as like a slight on him because I think that's, a, that's as you say that's one of the really powerful ways of writing fiction particularly horror fiction is to give people a space for that sort of thing rather than to like force it on them um, mm. but therefore I'm not necessarily sure you can say the story itself has depths. I think what the what the story has is voids <laughs> that you into which you bring your own depths, if yeah. you see what I mean.
0: Yeah. Um, Cecily gave it five stars. Edgar Allan's Poe's very short story from 1843 still packs a punch. Stories about mm. the heart make love spring first to mind, even if those hearts are broken. Ah. With Poe, it's bloodier, both literally and metaphorically. <laughs> I like the, the final line is... It's kind of funny. Um, What makes a cold-blooded killer? Madness, badness, or both?
1: I mean, I'm not... Again, (laughs) I'm not sure that's in there, to be honest. Like, (laughs) madness is the theme. I'm not sure where (laughs) badness comes from, but I suppose... Again, I suppose you're going to present an act of violence. You're going to ask where that urge came from. So I suppose you could, yeah. I I didn't see it there, but actually, I think that's fair enough. He had um, the madness, yeah,
0: and that led to the badness. That's what I yeah. Would
1: say. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> or or was he always bad, and the badness expresses itself in the madness of the act? You know. And later came um, the sadness. And later came the sadness. <laughs> Which is the sequel that nobody's made, Matt. All these adaptations, and nobody's made the sequel of somebody just sitting there going, I don't know why I did that. Yeah, that's I really what you regret want. it now.
0: That's, never mind a love triangle. Get at him.
1: Yeah. Um, Give me a moral
0: punchline, damn it. Um, Tadina, who gave it four stars, I liked this review because it sounds like it could be the tagline on the poster or like mm. a, sort of just a one line synopsis that gets you to go and see it. The nervous narrator decides murder is the only way to rid himself of this horrible eye, but he didn't plan on the old man's heart. It sounds a bit like it sounds a bit like it's actually a rom-com. The nervous yeah. narrator decides to murder the old man. To rid himself That's of a horrible incredible. eye, but he didn't plan. On the old man's oh, heart. On the old man's heart. heart and, gold. Then, and then and so
1: and so actually it's a story about how somebody decides not to do that and instead has a, a successful uh, song romance songwriting career singing about old blue eye. Yeah. Old oh,
0: Blue Eye. <laughs> yeah. Um a few more a few one starers.
1: All right. All, right. Um, All right, I love these. I, I can't get enough of people giving a one-star to a book that's clearly had this amount of influence on everything that came after it.
0: Yeah. Um, Anastasia said, A story about nothing. I understand now that my least favourite author is Edgar Allan Poe. I don't understand his stories. I think they're like unfinished sketches. They're boring and a waste mm. of time. Now, I... I sort of picked that review out because I actually think the um, the idea of them being unfinished sketches is actually something yeah. in that. But um, yeah. for me, as we've said, that's part of the charm for me is that it's more like a sketch than a than a sort of yeah. fully sort of fleshed out tale.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I so I think it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because I would agree completely that that is what they are. They are skeletons. But they're really spooky skeletons, and um, and and you either respond to that well, or you respond to that as though the author's shortchanged you. You know, mm. and like I want, you know, you you want you want something different from it. Which is why there are different, you know, different genres of fiction, and different writers take different approaches to things. Mm. I, I do rather like the idea, though, of being sure now that Edgar Allan Poe is literally your least favorite author ever, like. <laughs> You know, I mean, we've we you keep threatening me with uh, on one of these spooky specials doing a Sean Hudson book, oh. and and I've I've read I've I've read, <laughs> exactly, exactly that's the sound that is the sound that we would make for an hour do, and a half do, recording do, do, about a Sean Hudson book for Halloween. Do, do,
0: do you know he says where well, the old man makes the low groan of sort of terror.
1: That's the. That's the, noise, it? <laughs> <laughs> See, <open> the book. <laughs> oh, that is exactly what I would end up doing, and I mean, and, and you know, lest we forget, there is a lot of really, really awful books out there. I somehow came across the other day the thriller that form, former Home Secretary Douglas Hurd wrote <laughs> um, uh, shortly after leaving office in uh, in nineteen ninety seven. He went straight to his shed and wrote a quote unquote thriller. Mm. Um, which could not be more an attempt to settle political scores with a thin veneer of of uh, of, <laughs> uh, of fiction and thriller like over the top of it, and I'm sure I'm sure it sold, and I'm sure people went for it in their own way, uh, but but equally, um, uh, if, if Edgar Allan Poe really is your least favourite author, I think there's a whole world of total shite out there for you to discover. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so um, yeah, but yeah, I'd I like that of a sketch. I, I would take issue with unfinished sketch. I think it, it, it is it is sort of it, it, they are complete. It's not. It's like looking at a beautiful black and white sketch and saying, "What's the colour Yeah, um, but, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true.
1: Yeah, I would agree.
0: Yeah. Uh, Janet gave it one star. Dark and depressing. I really <laughs> dislike this book. <laughs> i I mean
1: please just take a real like
0: visceral hatred of it sure sweet well
1: and i think that's part of the impact of this sort of fiction isn't it like and i actually have a lot of sympathy with 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 that i think Hmm. if i wasn't reading this if it hadn't been recommended to me by you obviously and if we weren't doing it for the podcast i think one of the reasons that i don't really engage with horror fiction very much is that i resent it i'm like well you're trying to make me feel bad and i prefer to feel good so you know please go away mm. um whereas you know and I think actually one of the things that's been really interesting about doing these podcasts about them is that there's always something to enjoy in there there's always something to find really impressive in there actually I mean if you could choose a good one there's always something to engage with um but I do still understand the the instinct that some people have of reading a book that's designed to make you afraid And going well, I don't like feeling afraid, so I don't like this book, (laughs) (laughs) right? And it's completely (laughs) fair enough. You could just be like, "I prefer not to." Thanks. Yeah, Uh,
0: Natalie, I'm only putting this under classic because it's old. I've got it's got no redeeming features at all. None. Um, None. (laughs) No redeeming
1: whatsoever. (laughs) No redeeming features.
0: I quite like the idea of like and this is like there is a certain truth to some like the way some people uh, approach literature with this if it's if it's over a certain
1: age it's automatically a classic it's like it's old yeah. so it's got to be a classic <laughs> it's old it's a classic <laughs> i i actually remember when i was at school my english teacher put that that question to the class it was like what makes something a classic and we all and we were like 11 or something 12 and we were just like well, I don't know people tell us that we've got to read it like there's a <laughs> yeah. sense there's a sense of duty in it yeah. and which is really dangerous in actually robbing you of the sort of joy of discovering you know extraordinary acts of human creativity like mm-hmm. this um and and you know in many ways you can you can tell you can see what was in it by what came after it and what came after it was a whole genre of fiction, you know, through which, you know, people, you know, get, you know, really enjoy the sort of distraction of it and really get good entertainment. But through mm. which actually people also do a lot of processing of their age and the ways in which your times, whenever your times happen to be, are can be frightening and can be uncertain and, and can present you with this. Mm. So, like, so it's, yeah, I think it's really it's really easy to miss the things that actually make something have an impact and have an impact over a long period of time and continue to give value to you over a long period of time if the first thing you're told is you've got to read this because it's old yeah, <laughs> and therefore read it, you know.
0: Yeah. And speaking of, the final one-star review I've got is from Mark. Yeah. Um, it, it, always a special place in our hearts and we always have a, um, a review along it always feels like we have at least one review along these lines every time we do a new book. Mark, one star, had to read it for school.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, exactly. It's like a it's it's like a bulletproof capsule that you can put around even the most impressive thing you ever like that's ever been done. The thing that has had all this impact in everything. You just tell somebody that they have to read it and make it associated with being given a grade for being good at reading it or not good at reading it and they will resent it and it's really frustrating because education doesn't need to be like that it can be you do you you open up to people the extraordinary depth and breadth of the world but then if you make somebody do something there's always going to be a significant number of people who go I didn't want to do that It it was rubbish one star
0: yeah, so I think overall, I think we both really enjoyed that. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed podcasting about it. And I, uh, the the, Im- <laughs> the image of the detectives knocking on the door and the guy <laughs> taking an <laughs> hour to open it is going to stay with me for a long time. I love that. Um, you know, <laughs>
1: just on the on the step, just looking at the watch.
0: <laughs> <Just> <laughs>
1: should we go to the next one? <laughs> well, he's definitely opening the door, isn't he? I mean. <laughs> Just and then, wait. after about after about twenty minutes, his head starts to emerge. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't wait for the eye to come out so I can make eye contact and hurry this stuff along. Good evening. Oh, yeah, but
0: uh, no, I think in in general, um, it's um, I yeah. don't know. To speak for you, but I, I mean, as I've said at the start, I, I've um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this this story, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I I'm, I'm very. I would highly recommend it to anyone who has yet to to read it, although if you are yet to read it and you've got an hour 20 into this podcast, I'm quite
1: surprised. <laughs> that is true. And if you did, then I hope that we didn't um, we didn't suck any of the fun out of it and rather <laughs> haven't prevented you from uh, nonetheless enjoying a great piece of literature. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, as I've said, not usually my jam at all, um, but it is... It definitely has rewarded reading it and it's rewarded thinking about it and I think there's lots of really interesting stuff in there um as you say not least the fact that it manages to keep horror and comedy in a sort of tight helix all the way through without making the comedy less funny or the horror less horrific mm. um, and you've got to give it props for that at least right like I think it's just it's something quite extraordinary
0: yeah and we'll give the final word to Jennifer five stars. And she says, I first read this in middle school English class with a teacher who absolutely adored Poe's works. This is my favourite from him. And this reread during the spooky season was perfection and brought back many memories from reading it the first time. Where I was, how I felt. I love how reading can do that for us. I thought it was very, um, very well put. That is gentleman. lovely.
1: Yep. Yeah, that is lovely.
0: We will um, hopefully have uh, another book between now and Christmas. Um but of Probably. course then, then the Christmas special. Yeah, I hope so. Um we might do I mean we 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 talked a lot about HP two. Maybe we do oh, Harry Potter. It's two. time. It's time. The, the the other big one on deck is um Jurassic Park three, the film. I'm thinking maybe <laughs> um Dave, we watch that together and then do a podcast immediately after it on our thoughts. I
1: think yeah, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. we have to do that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. let's make that plan. So um, look forward to
0: those coming up. We've committed to them now. And uh, yeah, until then, enjoy your uh, spooky season. Hope if you're going trick-or-treating, you get everything you want. Um, and hopefully if you're sort of barring the doors and hoping that the trick-or-treaters pass you by, then um, good luck. My heart goes out to you. Just uh, be careful not to let any... Actually, no. If if the trick or treaters do come round, perhaps take an hour.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Open the door. <laughs> that'll, that'll get them. That'll get, get send the creepy right back where it comes from.
0: If, if they're still there on the doorstep after an hour of you slowly opening the door, they deserve some sweets. Surely, they have got it, back. haven't they?
1: Really, at that point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. enjoy the season, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back soon. Bye.